This is Beyond the Bell Tower, where an elite group of North Carolina State University students give us a behind-the-scenes look at their steps to success and show us how they attain even their lofty goals. These students, who are in the top 10% of the country, are active in student support services at NC State, a nationally recognized program designed to provide support for low-income, first-generation college students. Nationally, this population has an 11% graduation rate within six years. The student support services students surpass that rate each year and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. They have earned PhDs in Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to reach this level of success. And we are here with Dominic, one of our uh, most esteemed <laughs> trio <laughs> alums. Um, he are, you're free this summer to record this podcast because when do you start your job? I start my job August 20th. Actually. Okay. So. What are you going to... What's your job? Where are you uh, working? Will, What's your title? I will be starting with uh, Cherry Beckert. I will be starting as a staff accountant, and I will be uh, working in their audit department, actually, right in the downtown Raleigh. So. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. So now we um, know um, where you're at now. Um, do you want to let us know all about yourself, where you come from, sure. what major? Yeah. Who is okay. Dominic? Sure. Who is Dominic? All right. So I guess I'll start way from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I was actually born in New Jersey, uh, moved down here most recently when I was about 11 or 12. Um, so I went to middle school and high school, actually right down by Charlotte, um, and then decided after applying to probably about 12 different colleges, um, I decided that state was the best place for me. Um, once I got here, I ended up, or actually originally starting off as a math major, uh, which was kind of interesting. Um, I always knew I was kind of good at math, but I knew for sure I didn't really want to be any kind of math teacher or anything like that. Um, so I kind of just stuck with that kind of more for my first year, um, knowing that I wanted to switch out of that. Because um, when did you apply for the College of Design? Because I knew you were interested in designing cars. Like that was one of your passions was cars. Right, right. Um, I guess, yeah, it was towards actually probably towards the end of my first semester here, actually, mm -hmm. uh, was when I was applying for doing uh, the industrial design program. Um, so I got I actually got pretty far in that progress, uh, that process and everything. Uh, that actually just didn't pan out the way I was expecting it to. Uh, but uh, I think it ended up turning out pretty well. Uh, the way everything else worked out. Um, so actually, after that, once I decided I wasn't going to keep going down that path, I ended up uh, actually taking a couple different business classes, a couple economics classes, and I found that was a lot more of my direction. Because I even remember you saying that you were surprised how much um, more you liked even the class atmosphere yeah. of the accounting business classes than you did any of the math classes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just felt I felt way more at home uh, in those types of classes. Um, just the people I was around and everything. Um, I, I just I felt like a certain kind of passion. I just wasn't feeling when I was taking the science and the math classes. Um, I enjoyed all those topics. I still do enjoy like science, physics, uh, all those types of things. Uh, but I think I've come to realize that you know, as you were saying earlier, you know, cars have always been a huge uh, passion of mine, but I like that more as a hobby as opposed to like a career. Um, so I'd rather do that kind of stuff on the side. And then uh, this uh, accounting path, I guess, ended up being more 
my direction for actual a career. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, and that's great. And I remember that you had applied for an internship with NASCAR or with a. When was? Oh uh, yeah, so I guess that must have been the end of my freshman year, or something around there. Um, actually, in high school, I did a like small like day type internship with a couple different um, race shops around. Um, actually, one of them was Hendrick Motorsports, which was um, kind of right by where I live because um, I live right by the Charlotte Motor Speedway and everything. And um, so I really actually did enjoy that. Um, so I ended up applying through them. Um, I guess I've applied to, I guess, so many <laughs> different internships, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But um, I get, yeah, I guess, I, yeah, I applied to that, and then um, I'm trying to think what happened after that. But um, I think we... Because I think you interviewed for it, and you were only a first after a first year student, and that's oh, right. rare. Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah I, did, I did do the interviews and everything for that, um, and I think that's what it was. Is that um, they they did say that they they enjoyed my application and everything or whatever, but they just said that um, they were looking for someone. I guess, at, that, at that point, they wanted an older student, someone that was probably more of a junior senior level. So, mm-hmm. and that is like a common frustration of students when they say, you know, they are being told like you need experience. Nobody's going to hire if you hire you if you don't have experience. <laughs> right, right. And then it's like, well, how do <laughs> right. you know? How do I? You know, I can't if I'm a if I wait till I'm a junior and then I don't have any experience. How am I going to even get that? junior, you know, internship that junior year. Right, exactly. Um, and that, that's always been a big thing. I've known even just with a bunch of my friends as well, they've had that kind of same issue where, uh, you know, they they try applying early on and stuff like that because, you know, of course, the schools encourage you to go to the career fairs and everything, even as a freshman and everything. But at the same time, it ends up being a little discouraging for some people because, they're expecting, oh, I should be able to get some sort of internship or something like that. But then a lot of these companies, they do want someone a little bit older because they're more already into their major or their career path. Yeah, like they've taken more of the required courses, you know, or had other experiences for sure. Now, when did you actually get a summer internship? Um, I actually ended up getting one. Actually, I ended up being right after my senior year uh, that summer, um, right before I ended up going to grad school. Um, so yeah, as I was finishing up, so actually it was my, my fall semester of my, my senior year is when I actually got the, um, got that internship. Um, so yeah, I did a bunch of recruiting uh, events through that and I ended up, yeah, for that following summer, I ended up getting an audit internship with the company that I'll be working with now. Yeah, that's great. And that's one of the, I think one of the very appealing parts of accounting as a profession is that they tend to hire interns. Right, right. Yeah, because when did they, did they offer you the job while you were in graduate school or did they wait till after you had graduated? They actually offered me the job on my last day of my internship. Right. Um, So that was just a couple weeks before I ended up starting grad school. Um, So yeah, once, once I went through all that, they sent me the offer letter. So that was pretty exciting. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's one of the things about the accounting profession is how they handle that is a lot of accounting students will have a job a year in advance. Right. Right. Which is super comforting. (laughs) (laughs) That is for sure. Yeah, it was was definitely nice even going through grad school, um, knowing that I was already set up for for now uh, once once I I graduated the program and everything. Um, And, you know, about about half of my even my grad program, 
um, the first semester they were actually going through recruiting and everything, and it was nice not having to actually you know do that. Um, being set up already was definitely a little bit of weight off your shoulders. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, um, so you just graduated from the Masters of Accounting program at NC State. Yes, I just graduated in May, so <laughs> I'm officially done with school. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not done for the with the CPA testing, right? Right. CP, <laughs> CPA is a whole other thing, but uh, yeah, so I'm still in the process of studying for those exams and uh, taking those as well. So I've been that's pretty much what most of my summer has been dedicated to so far. <laughs> right, 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 right. Can you just explain a little bit about what a CPA is and the CPA exam process? Sure. Uh, CPA or a Certified Public Accountant, um, it's just a distinguish, uh, distinguishing title um, in the accounting field. Um, even if you don't end up practicing public accounting, a lot of times accountants like to just have that title. It just, it just shows uh, clients that um, you are um, indeed qualified to be you know, doing your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the state of North Carolina, as well as most other states, you have to um, attain first 150 credit hours of college credits. Um, and then there are four different exams that you have to sit for um, and, and get at least a 75 score of um, in order to um, actually get your CPA license. Mm-hmm. And how much time do you usually have to spend like studying for uh, those exams, yeah, each one of those exams, um, it's usually at least 100 to 150 uh, study hours, um, and then on top of it, review um, mm-hmm. for each of those. Um, yeah, usually most people end up doing like Becker program, which is like it's like a video lecture series along with a textbook uh, for each of those sections, where um, you just go through all those lectures, you do multiple choice, all those types of things, um, and the tests, the way they're laid out, is basically there's five different sections. Um, the first two sections are usually multiple choice type sections, and then the last three sections are all more short answer, um, looking up you know the tax code, looking up uh, authority, you know, kind of authoritative uh, resources, um, and coming up with answers. Um, like short answers for those as well. Now, have you um, sat for any of those exams yet? Yes. So actually, I just ended up sitting for uh, the exams called REG, which is mainly uh, tax um, information. I just sat for that. Um, I want to say about two or three weeks ago now. So I'm waiting to hear back on scores for all of that. So. <laughs> right, 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 right. And now you're studying for the second one? Right, uh, yeah. right now. So I'm studying for, um, it's called FAR, uh, which is, this is mainly financial accounting is what it's covering. So that's more of your traditional like journal entries, uh, debits, credits, all those types of like really kind of stereotypical accounting things that you would think of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, why would somebody want to be an accountant if they're going to have to take tests about taxes? I mean, because that's <laughs> like, to me, that's like horror. You right, know, that'd be right. my worst nightmare. That's like a nightmare dream is like waking up to like sitting in an accounting tax test. Right, right. Um, and I, I, that comes down to the CPA certification itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course, a huge thing that people think of when they think of an accountant is, oh, they do my taxes. Um, um, but actually, I'm, I'm a perfect example of that. I won't be doing taxes or anything like that. Um, I do audit, which is reviewing companies' financial statements, uh, making sure they're in accordance with all proper regulations, um, and that they're fairly presented uh, so that when investors or creditors or anyone who's going to be using that information looks at that, uh, they can be assured that that information is correct. Um, that CPA license in itself, um, there's really actually a lot more, like I'm saying, a lot more directions that you can go into. Mm-hmm. Um, 
compared to, you know, other than just tax or audit. Um, people will go into private industries. They will just, you know, they'll work for all the kind of major companies that you would think of. Um, and, you know, they can work in the finance department, economics. Um, it really opens up a lot of different paths. Because um, every industry needs accountants. Exactly. Like there's no, you know, kind of area of entertainment, you know, agriculture, you know, whatever. Like, Every like they all need accountants. Exactly. So even if again with your you can mix the passion, you know, say the NASCAR with the accounting, that would be, you know, that wouldn't be a far reach. Right. Of course. Um, And that's a a big thing of you know first several years of being in public uh, public accounting, especially, is that people like to try to find their their niche or like their their specialty. Um, So someone yeah they could go into. Something with automotive, or they could go, you know, finance. They could go, uh, re- you know, real estate, banking, um, any kind of path like that. Um, that's one of the you know, perks of the job that I'll be starting is that I'll be dealing with a bunch of different clients across a bunch of different industries. Um, so I'll get exposure to all different types of accounting in that sense, um, which in turn usually helps a lot of people. After a couple of years, they end up um, focusing into that industry, and a lot of time they will end up going. To work for one of those types of big companies, right? And I actually heard that the job of an auditor is actually very social because you're working directly, you know, with your client. Right, right. Um, and a lot of the time, too, um, with with audit in particular, is a lot of the work has to be done on site. Um, so you do end up traveling a lot to different clients, which is, uh, which, you know, depending on, I guess, who you are, it's, it ends up being a lot of fun, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all, all around the area, you get to meet different clients, you know, meet different personnel and, and all these different businesses. And uh, you get to really um, get to meet, you know, a lot of people all the time. So, uh, you're always kind of doing something different, which is um, another fun part of accounting, which I don't think, again, a lot of people would really think if you're just thinking about what people typically think of when they hear an accountant. Right, right. They don't usually equate accounting to um, diverse experiences, travel, meeting new people. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the other thing, I'm not sure what the current statistic is, but I know in the past, um, accountants have the least or the lowest unemployment rate. Um, it's almost like a you know ninety eight percent of accountants are employed, mm-hmm. which which I could believe because yeah. yeah again every industry does need accountants uh, you know everything has to be budgeted somehow uh, so usually accountants taking care of that for the most part so um, and a great part about accounting too is that you know, you know depending on your life you know you're starting your family uh, you know you move around a lot um, you can pretty much be assured that anywhere you you go um, you can find an accounting job um, which is kind of a nice thing. As well, so if you know you decide that you you want to go move to Colorado, uh, you can you can do that pretty easily and uh, find a job out there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a, a great perk, and I you know hopefully our students do consider that because with getting into a master's of accounting program, you don't necessarily have to be have a bachelor's in accounting. Right, that's correct, um, and specifically NC State's program, they actually have kind of like a catch up program. That yeah, you know, if you didn't do an accounting undergrad, um, basically it's like a, I think it's like a five year or five week um, kind of just catch up program where they they put you through all of the basics of accounting so that when even when you do jump into the first week of your master's program you don't feel like you're behind. Um, and I've, I knew several people that did that program and they all graduated with me and everything too. So <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. It's like never too late. So that's when people. 
me realize, even after, you know, hearing you, Dominic, that accounting seems better than they thought it would be, you know, a, an attractive career. And then, but they're a junior and they can't switch into it. There's always the graduate program. Right. That's for sure. Even if you have a, a bachelor's degree in something else, it doesn't mean that becoming a an accountant is impossible right. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew, yeah. I knew people too that they started off with a environmental science degree, a geology degree. And I knew people that even type of humanities degrees as well. Um, and they're they all, you know, once they did that catch up program, um, they were able to you know, jump in and do everything, you know, just like everyone that did the undergrad program here as well uh, in, the, in the accounting program. So, right. And the cost of a graduate degree and timing um, is attractive too. Because the graduate program is only one year, right? Which is uh, which is definitely a nice feature as well. Um, I was someone even as I was going through undergrad, I figured, yeah, I've always been someone that worked you know, all the time. So I, I I was pretty much convinced that I, you know once I got my you know my bachelor's degree, I was going to go straight to work, and I was going to be super happy with that. Um, but you know once I got more into the accounting, um, I knew that I was going to have to do that master's degree to um, be able to get my CPA license and everything. So. Uh, being able to do that in one year was a great perk for me. Um, I didn't know if I really wanted to do a two-year master's program, um, so getting to do that in one year, um, and it's the same, it's the same thing. It's still 31 credit hours, like a lot of graduate programs. Um, so it's a little bit accelerated, I guess, pace, but um, it's definitely like a doable thing. Um, a lot of people, I, I did it in two semesters, but a lot of people will do two semesters and then do one or two classes over the summer, uh, just kind of depending on how you want to break that up. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, what do you think made you competitive to be accepted into the graduate program? Uh, I think just a lot of it was just being involved, just in my you know community or just in my undergrad in general. I don't think it was any one particular thing that I did. Um, like I said, I always worked in everything undergrad. I think uh, programs, they just like to see that you are um, consistently utilizing your time. Um, and I think that they like to see that uh, you are pursuing some sort of passion of yours. It, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be directed really to the field that you're trying to apply into. Um, like a big thing I did what in undergrad was I played an NC State's jazz program. Uh, for all four of my years in undergrad. Um, and you're and a saxophonist? I am a saxophonist, yes. <laughs> play saxophone. I do play a little guitar as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I think... Do you do weddings? I do. I, I, you know, I've, I've actually, people have talked to me about doing events and stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, like, it could be something I do down the line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, so I think I think companies especially, that, or even just master's programs, like we were saying, they like to see that you're consistently involved in something that you're passionate about. Um, and I think, I think that more than, you know, specifically doing something that's pertaining to that major, uh, I, I mean, you could do that as well, but I think they like to see that. Yeah, and I think from the trio perspective, you were the first um, president of the trio ambassadors. Yes, Is that's that, correct. I mean, that you start. I mean, you led that program and its inception, which is probably the hardest thing. Right. Right. You know, to do is to lead a program that's never existed and nobody really knows what the, you know, ambassadors are actually going to do. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, for me, that was a big thing, I guess, because like you were saying, there, there was, I guess, a lot of initiative both on the program and, and on my half as well. Um, yeah, there was, there was no precedent before. So um, I think for me, that was like a big um, part of just my overall experience because I got to really um, kind of shape 
you know, what I, I envisioned like that program being. Um, and I think that has even helped me just in my, my master's program and everything just up until this point, because, uh, I just feel like that I, like I have no problem, you know, taking that first step or, or just, uh, making, uh, the, the, the initiative to, uh, pursue whatever it is I want to pursue. So. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about the ambassador program? Sure. Um, so in that program, we uh, essentially were the voice of the students yeah, to the staff of the career program. Uh, so we helped kind of come up with different social events or any kind of community building activities uh, that we thought would help you know, bring bring students together, uh, help them grow, help them find their path as well. Um, and yeah, you know, we did that in much different ways. We did yeah you know, more social events, uh, but as well as yeah you know, more academic you know focused uh, workshops uh, and things along those lines as well. So it was really, uh, especially the first semester and everything, we really tried to just get input from from students, hearing what they felt like they weren't getting from just like the regular coursework, um, and trying to provide them some sort of resources or programs uh, that would help them achieve those goals. Yeah. And we really want students when they see anything that has to do with the ambassadors, it may not seem intuitive, like kind of what is a trio ambassador, but they definitely need to look into that and attend the programs and even become involved. Right. And that's the, that's the biggest thing too. Um, I would say my first year, I, I don't know how you know, although just being a freshman, I think that's a hard thing for anyone. Just trying to kind of you're you're is a bunch of change, I guess, especially your freshman year of college. Uh, trying to figure out where you fit, where you belong, uh, what you want to do. There's a lot, a lot of different choices you're kind of making. Uh, but I think, especially going into my sophomore year and beyond, uh, really just trying to any any kind of event. I think at that point, I just decided, oh, okay, if something looked interesting to me, you know, I had the time to do it. I was just going to go do it. Um, I think that's a pretty good mindset to go about really anything, but um, especially the TRIO program and everything. Um, I met some amazing people through the TRIO program, um, some great friends that I still keep up with and everything. And uh, so, I mean, it's just overall, you know, amazing experience. And I think it's one of those programs that has so much to offer and it's really just how much of it can you utilize. Um, So that's kind of how I looked at it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that, Trio is a safe place for students trying to get their feet wet and get their first leadership position. And then even you'll learn from other students what they're involved in. And then you have somebody to go with. Right, right. You know, to those events or, you know, you know more about a program because it's hard when there's so much you don't know. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. too much is actually, you know, can be harmful. Right. And especially at a school like NC State, it's such a huge school and everything. Um Trio ends up being, I think, for a lot of students, you feel you feel at you know that home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I mean last year and everything year before was probably about two hundred and fifty students. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it's grown since then, but um, I think you know having that feeling of like you know yeah, this, is a, this is a group of people that you can go to, you can um, rely on, ask for help, um, all those types of things. I think is I think a comforting thing for a lot of students, um, especially for someone like me. I went to a really you know small high school, and then yeah, I mean my graduating class of high school was like eighty students. Um, and then right. coming to a school where, you know, there's 35, 40,000 students, um, is a totally different experience. So having that, that smaller group of people to, to kind of you know, lean on a little bit is, um, definitely a nice perk of the trio program. 
Right, because in some of the classes, there's more than 80 students in a class. Right, right. <laughs> Especially <laughs> a lot of those freshman intro classes and everything. Yeah. There was three, 400 students in some of those classes. So, Yeah, yeah. And then you kept up your leadership while in grad school, didn't you? Right. Yeah. Um, so I ended up uh, getting elected to be the president of uh, the MAC program as well. Uh, Which, that's a big <laughs> blankety-blank deal. Yeah, that, that's, so. yeah so, um, so, yeah, I ended up. Doing you know through that there's the GSA so the Graduate Student Association um, I ended up you know representing my entire program um, on that board yeah so they have there's a monthly uh, board meeting that happens um, and again that's to address all student issues you know across the entire graduate school um, so yeah and then it actually had a lot of similar things that I ended up doing with the Trio program is that there was a lot of different events that we ended up coming up with to um, you know bring these graduate programs together um, especially graduate school, you know, everyone gets so focused into their, their studies and their, their schoolwork and everything that everyone kind of gets silo, siloed off a little bit. Um, so a big part of what we were doing there as well was really trying to, you know, overlap some of those programs, you know, because how often do people from, you know, geology talk with accountants, right? So um, a lot of the events we came up with were just to get people from, you know, all different disciplines to really just like, you know, talk together, uh, you know, and uh, kind of just mingle a little bit. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's a great thing to know it is that that leadership experience with TRIO you know, was very applicable and made you successful in a leadership position in graduate school. Right, right. Um, def- definitely helped. And especially with even just my program itself, um, the Masters of Accounting program, there's a lot of actually group work, um, which, again, I don't know if you would necessarily think that if you think about accounting, um, but we had a lot of different types of projects, presentations um, that we would do. Um, and just having that, that leadership, that skill set really helped me uh, throughout the entire program. Um, I don't think I would have really done as well as I did if I didn't have that kind of background. Right, right, right. The dreaded group work. <laughs> that is. <laughs> I've never had a student have a positive experience, I think, with group work. So what is your advice with group work and even knowing students now knowing that they're going to have to continue group work through their graduate career, like it's not going away. Right. And it's not even just the graduate career as well. It's, I mean, when you're working too, um, I'm, it, there's a lot of collaboration just with projects and everything. It's a lot more of it now is online and everything. You're a lot of, a lot of you know, just uh, virtual meetings as well. Uh, but I would say some of the biggest advice I would give is um, if you can take initiative on um, you know, if there's certain sections of some sort of project and be like, okay, yeah, this is, yeah, I, can, I can be good at that. You know, I've done this, this, this. Um, I think uh, just showing your group that you, you can take that initiative on certain things is really good. Um, and just generally, generally just being proactive. Um, you know, it's, you, you, especially if you work for the group for a while, you kind of, you understand people's you know strengths and weaknesses. Um, so I always just try to find people's strengths and weaknesses as early as I can. Uh, you know, some people you'll just you'll you'll pick up on it that you know some people are better writers, some people are you know better with you know making the actual powerpoints or visuals or whatever it ends up being that you need for your presentation. Um, so I think really just trying to be in tune to those types of things uh, with the people around you, and actually even just trying to get to know you know, your group mates beyond actual just doing the project. Um, you know, I ended up becoming good friends with all, you know, a lot of the people I ended up doing group work, work with just because, you know, if we were working late or whatever, we were be like, okay, let's go grab a coffee before we jump into this project. Um, just things like that, you know, uh, just 
knowing people's backgrounds a little bit too, I think really helps with, um, with working with them as well. So, yeah. So you also have to take effort to kind of make friends, even if it's forced, right. You right. know, you're not making friends naturally, but it's like, I have to make friends so I can do well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because, you know, again, even though you're doing a lot of group work and stuff like that, it still is a self-driven process. I mean, same with school, same with work and everything, even though you're working with a bunch of people all the time, um, you know, your, your results and everything still are a product of you. Um, so, um, get, like you said, getting to know your group members, even if, you know, you don't necessarily want to or love to, um, it definitely will yield better results for you, uh, with your project or just, just your whole experience. Mm -hmm. Now, what's your advice for students when they're in a group with somebody who doesn't do any work or very limited work? Like they don't, show up to meetings uh, yeah. or, you know, don't even meet their timeline. Right. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of people get intimidated by stuff like that because they feel like they have to confront this person now and they have to, uh, make a whole big deal out of it. Um, I, I've always been someone that, you know, with this, you know, if people don't do their parts or whatever, I have no problem with pulling them aside. Uh, I, I think, uh, be like, look, you know, I think a lot of people in the group are uncomfortable uh, with, you know, with the, basically, you know, what's been going on with the group setting. Um, and I think that, you know, you really just haven't been pulling your weight, maybe so, as some of these other people, um, you know, and I think, too, I try to get any kind of more confrontational type matter like that. I would say uh, I would really try to give that person the benefit of the doubt um, just from the beginning. Um I think a lot of the times people, you know, it, it might not be intentional that this person is um, not doing their part or whatever it may be, or they could just have a lot going on as well. Uh, you know, everyone has lives beyond just schoolwork and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I always think, you know, just pulling that person aside and just talking to them and be like, hey, is there something that we're not doing that you can't do your part? Um, or just, you know, just talking and be like, you know, is there something we can do to, to make the situation better for you as well? Um, I think usually helps those types of situations go over a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, excellent. And then what about the situation? I have several students where a couple of the people or one person takes over and then determines what the project is. And then the student doesn't even agree, you know, with the direction. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, have you ever been in that <laughs> yeah, that's situation? Yeah, that, that is definitely a tough situation as well. Um, a lot of that is it can be like a personality driven type thing. Some people are just almost so on top of things that they end up driving the whole, the whole thing. Um, and again, that'd be a situation where, you know, I'd, you'd want to talk to that person and just be like, look, you got to step back from a second. You know, it's great that you're knocking all this stuff out and everything, but it's more of just, you're going forward and you're dragging us all along. You know, we want to kind of be all side by side going forward with this. Um, so, you know, just be like, you know, I, I think there, I would say, um, you know, we all, you know, even though I think all those, we have I totally messed up here, no. but, uh, <laughs> but um, I would say really just having to get everyone's voice um, as part of the project itself. Everyone should be represented. Um, so even though you might have done some great work and everything, you know, I think everyone's name is going on to this, this piece of paper or this presentation that you're turning in. So uh, we would really like to have, you know, our voices represented as well. So. Yeah, because what makes um, a strong person in group work is different than when you work individually. So being necessarily an individual overachiever isn't actually 
best in group work. Right, right. Yeah, so it's totally different. Or not totally different, but it's including others is as important as, you know, taking initiative. Exactly, exactly. There's kind of a balance there for sure. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And like, how have they said to work with groups like in your classes? Have they have instructors gave strategies or? Uh, yeah. Say? Yeah. They have they have talked a little bit about it here and there. Um, it really just kind of depends on the teacher and what kind of project you're really doing. Um, our, our one well, the one example I would say, like in the program, that's kind of notorious um, for the presentations is the audit class. Um, a lot of people take it with Professor Showalter. It's a cool yeah. guy. Uh, <laughs> but. With those presentations, they are they're very like formal presentations. Like you know, you are um, you know, it's usually like probably a half an hour presentation. It's um, you're supposed to cycle through your you know your group and everything. There's got to be a you know balance of how, who's presenting what information. Um, so there's a lot of different parts uh, to it. So I think with those presentations, they really they really stress actually you know moving around. Uh, when you're doing a presentation, uh, eye contact with people in the crowd. Um, and a big thing too, is just in, like engaging, uh, your audience if you can. Um, so all those types of things, I think really overlap into, uh, working with like, you know, presenting that kind of information. And how did you, um, like what preparation or how do you think you've, what led to you becoming a strong presenter? Uh, actually, it's just, I mean, with anything, I think it's just a practice over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, like, you know, actually I, I know several people that they feel like they have to script everything out, right? They have to, yeah, if they, especially if they give me like a big presentation like that, they have to script out word for word what they're going to say. Um, I've never been someone that can do that. I have to, like, I'll have bullet points as to what I want to cover. Um, but to me, I always have to make sure that I, whatever material I'm presenting, I know it well enough to the, to where I can, you know, it can flow off my tongue essentially, you know, well enough to where I feel comfortable talking about that material. Um, so I think that's a huge thing is finding a comfort kind of spot as to, you know, where you feel, um, you know, the material best when you're presenting something like that. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of always been my approach is um, really just understanding that material and um, kind of bolding out what I'm going to say as opposed to um, you know, writing a speech. So what are the priorities, do you think, of a, you know 18 to 22-year-olds? Like what should they be most concerned about in like their financial health? Um, yeah, I would say, you know, just, I mean, the simplest thing, I mean, depending on your situation, of course, I mean, you're not going to have, you know, usually a full... You know, range of expenses yet. Um, but I, I would say the biggest thing is actually just developing good, like financial habits, um, at like between 18 and 22, really. Um, so like I was saying before, just, you know, budgeting, you know, doing personal budgeting for yourself. Um, you know, even if you only have like a few expenses, you know, every month, just being aware of how much you do owe, you know, how much, um, how much, you know, you are taking in, I think is like a great first step. Um, to being just successful, you know, financially at least. Um, going and how forward. much time should that take? Should a student devote like each month or each week? Um, you know, I mean, I, I like to look at, you know, at least like weekly, um, uh, just to have an idea of just, um, you know, kind of where I am. Uh, but it doesn't even have to be like that often. Um, it can be, yeah, I, I would say as long as you come up with a consistent schedule for yourself, even if it's every two weeks, just, you know, refer to, 
um, you know, just be like, okay, you know, this is, you know, it could be like, you know, every two weeks when you get a paycheck or something like that, be like, okay, I'm going to set aside an hour and just, you know, look through, um, your finances, just, you know, see, see what you do, uh, what, you know, kind of how everything's looking right now. Um, I, you know, just, I would, I would say, you know, even an hour every two weeks, two hours in a whole month, I think is, you know, pretty reasonable time just to you know, make sure that you are hitting all the goals that you're, you're trying to hit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it'll, you might have to schedule it in and force yourself to do it in the beginning. But then as you realize how easy it is with online banking, especially. Right. Um, for sure. And, and even just another good resource for something like that, um, that a lot of people I, I know use as well as, um, it's called mint.com. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, a lot of people do like, cause it's, it's, it's pretty nice in the fact that it links everything together. So, if, you know, you can, you can keep track of your loans, you can keep track of you know, your credit cards, um, you know, whatever bank accounts, you know, if you, if you have a payment, you know, your phone bill, you can link all those to your account. Um, and it'll show, you know, a snapshot basically of, okay, for this month, uh, you can, you know, you're going to spend $80 on meals. You're going to spend, you know, a hundred dollars on this, that, um, and you can, you can budget alongside like those expenses. Um, so that's, to me, it's always been like a pretty good resource as well. Just being able to use it, you know, a site like that, um, to track everything. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge too, that not spending money can be painful. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely true. That is definitely true. Uh, priority, you know, prioritizing wants versus needs, um, is another part, like, as I was saying, is, um, being from an 18 to a 22 year old, um, you know, like, you know, a lot of time you might, might look and be like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of expenses, so I can just, you know, I can go to the movies three times a week or whatever it is. Um, but all those little things definitely do add up. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, kind of like a price you pay. It's like even doing well in school, like doing schoolwork, you know, seven days a week for multiple hours at a time, you know, even all night long is emotionally and physically painful, but you realize the long-term exactly. investment of it. And so the discomfort that you feel <laughs> right. when you say, no, I can't spend this money. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's only going to be for a short amount of time. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and I think the, you know, the, the older you get and everything too, um, and you realize kind of what your, your priorities are, like your priorities, especially from, I would say 18 to 22, definitely shift over time. Um, yeah. Once you realize you, you want to start working full time and everything and, um, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, I think you'll be happier not spending that money now saving it for when you, you know, you want to make those bigger purchases or, you know, if you need to save it for a car or, you know, eventually a mortgage on a house, things like that. Um, all those little times you like, you decided, oh, I'm not going to spend the, the $15 on, you know, going out to eat or whatever it is. Um, I think will pay off for you, you know, down the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think like of the discomfort of not, of restricting what you spend money on versus the panic stress that you feel when you don't have money like to fix a car or something like that. Right. No, definitely. Um, yeah, especially in those like emergency type situations, um, you'd rather have that, that, five, <laughs> that $500 to fix your car versus, you know, all those little times, like I was saying, you know, when you, you, know, you spent, you spent money on, you know, these silly things that, you know, probably throw in the back of your closet now or whatever it is, you know, um, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely, uh, a much better situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else, other advice you have for students? Like I know they have questions too about credit scores. Um, 
are there common mistakes people tend to make or like even from a professional accounting perspective, are there things that people do that they say they do to increase their um, credit score, but actually could be more harmful um, or, yeah. or what's most harmful and what's most beneficial Sure, um, yeah, for in, a credit score? In, in terms of that, um, I remember, I've gotten lots of people, I think, yeah, especially like the 18 to 20s who um, kind of age group have actually kind of been scared away from um, like using credit cards and stuff like that because people are, you know, they hear people hear horror stories all the time yeah. of, you know, I got a credit card. Next thing you know, I had $5,000 worth of debt, you know, credit card debt, um, just because I kept spending and spending and spending. Um, I, so I, my piece of advice would be to not be scared of a credit card. Um, I would, I would read, you know, especially actually, there's actually a lot of good credit cards that are specifically designed for like college students. Um, so I would look for those types of cards. Um, and going off of that as well. And uh, I think nerd wallet lists they, those yeah. like comparisons. Yeah, they, they do. They do the, the types mm -hmm. of comparisons as well. Um, but I would say, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to get a credit card and yeah, not, of course, uh, I would say the biggest thing advice with that is if you're going to use the credit card, already have the money for it if you're going to be actually using that card. Um, the biggest thing with a credit card when you're you know from 18 to 22 is just actually building your credit score um, so that you know when you again when you want to buy you know buy those bigger purchases the house the car whatever it is you already have you know this is I mean this is four years of time where you could be building your credit score a little bit. Uh, so the most important thing in building a credit score is actually paying the credit card bill. Yes, uh, and yeah. not how much money you put on the credit card. Exactly, exactly. You know, <laughs> or how often you use the credit card. Right, right. Um, so yeah, use it more as a tool. You know, pay. You know, if you're going to use it. When yeah, when you get that monthly st statement, be able to pay it fully, hundred yeah, percent on time. Um, just you know, again, because uh, the biggest thing with uh, actually one of the hugest, like the biggest, you know, parts of determining your credit score is like the length of credit, you know, uh, as to how long you've had your credit. Um, so again, this is you know four years where if you just you know intelligently use the line of credit you have, um, you can you know actually be setting yourself up. Without even realizing it, you know, to be able to, you know, get a better loan or you know, with the lower interest rate, um, all those types of things that you're gonna again you're gonna want once you're working full time and you know you start your life and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And when should credit cards be used in emergency situations? I mean, uh, obviously, life and death, but right, are right. there? Um, yeah, I would say for for a credit card, um, I guess if you, I mean, I, I would the least like the last case scenario. Yeah, it's more or? to me. I would always say it's a more of a last resort type thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, ideally, if you can pay it, um, you know, upfront right there, um, I would do that. Um, yeah, you know, or again, too, even if you ha if you did have that emergency type situation, um, a lot of times even the credit cards, you know, you do earn you know even rewards and stuff like that for using the credit card itself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't, you know, of course, don't fall into the trap of always using it just because of that. But, um, you know, if you had the $500 in the bank to fix your car, um, it wouldn't be a bad thing to, you know, use the credit card, you know, to pay the $500 or whatever with the credit card, you know, get the rewards from that as well. And then, you know, of course, when you get that monthly statement, just pay the, pay the credit card off. Mm -hmm. um, that wouldn't be a, that would be a good use of credit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Any other parting advice? Yeah, I would say just, uh, you know, as you go through your studies and everything, I would say, um, 
just be willing to to try new things, uh, try try new classes, uh, you know, things that maybe you are a little skeptical about. I would I would go for it anyways. Um, I think just having you know, I, I'd say college, especially you know, those four years is a lot of a lot of learning, probably more than you're going to realize until like you're really done uh, with college. So I would say whatever you see that looks interesting to you, or maybe you just want to hear a different perspective on something. Um, just give it a shot. Um, there's not going to ever be a time, I don't think, in your life probably where you can just walk across, you know, a campus or wherever you are and just try 20 different things in a day. Um, so while you, you know, especially Trio program, you know, they offer you know a bunch of different programs as well, and they're you know free to their students, is you know everything. So um, having the opportunity to just go do different things like that, I think, um, will be worth your time in the long run. So that's what I would suggest. Yeah. And being denied from an internship or denied from, you know, the major you thought was best for you at the time does not determine future success. That, that is definitely true as well. Um, yeah, I would say, uh, just stay persistent with whatever your goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, understand that, you know, of course, there's there's plenty of other people out, out there as well that are going for the same thing you're probably going for. Um, so it's not that you're not qualified. It's not that you're not uh, capable of doing whatever it is. Um, you know, a, a little denial you know, every once in a while is is part of life, mm-hmm. as as you will find, um, and just use that as uh, more of fuel to just keep bettering yourself. Um, you know, I definitely did that. I mean, like you know, I think. Me and Sarah thought that I, I applied to more internships and everything than I could think now. I <laughs> yeah. mean, yeah. Um, but it does pay off. It does get you to where you want to be um, as long as you are persistent and keep working for your goal, whatever that may be. Um, I think you'll get to where you want to be. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're excited, Dominic, that you're staying in Raleigh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, we're I'm, really happy about that. I'm excited too. Uh, Raleigh's definitely been a good spot for me. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we definitely want to keep you involved with all of our students. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Trio Student Support Services Program and Student Support Services STEM are federally funded college retention and completion programs. These programs focus on academic, personal, and career support for under-resourced undergraduate students. At Trio SSS and SSS STEM, our goal is helping our students reach their goals. We are currently accepting new students to our program. Apply today. Go to www.ncsu.edu to learn more about Student Support Services at NC State.